Hello, welcome to Extra Virgin, a podcast for gourmands who love to travel and travellers who love good food. I'm your host, Natasha Mirosh, an insatiably curious food and travel writer who's toured and tasted her way around more than 60 countries. Join me now as I talk to the people who make travelling and eating such a delicious adventure. Hi and welcome to episode 80 of Extra Virgin Food and Travel. My guest today is Nick Holloway, the chef and owner of Nunu Restaurant in Palm Cove in Australia's tropical North Queensland. It's a beautiful place where the ocean meets the tropical rainforest, where exotic produce abounds and there's a rich tapestry of culture and cuisine, thanks to all the people who've chosen to make it their home, as well as the original Indigenous inhabitants. I have to confess Nick is one of my favourite Australian chefs. I love his food and his attitude to cooking and, well, just to life in general. Nick's also highly regarded by his chef contemporaries. He's been a guest on MasterChef multiple times as well as heaps of other TV programs and radio and he's also a frequent presenter at food festivals. Today we're going to talk to Nick about what it's like to own and run a restaurant in this dreamy part of the world and to find out about some of the amazing and unique produce that he gets to work with, among other things. Nick, welcome. It's so good to have you on Extra Virgin. I'm very excited and thrilled to be here, to be honest. (laughs) Nick, you didn't start life as a chef, did you? What did you start out doing and what inspired you to make such a radical shift? I actually began my journey in in an in an odd uh, situation, I suppose, in the fact that I was always very interested in maths and science at school. And I found myself at Melbourne University embarking on a combined degree in engineering science, but I really didn't fit in at all. I'm a little bit more of an extrovert than uh, than the average engineering student. I can't and- imagine you being an engineering student. <laughs> But I liked I liked the I liked the sound sort of I like solutions I like solutions and and problems, and anyway I, I I dropped out in much to my parents' absolute horror and as a means to an end got myself a job in a in a pub in North Melbourne I was in the city by that stage and I was a kitchen hand and became immediately seduced by the speed and excitement of the kitchen, of the camaraderie, of the fact that it was sort of a very accepting uh, family, a sort of brotherhood or or, or sisterhood or a group of people that came together for a common cause. And you had the opportunity to reinvent yourself every day, which I, when you have an attention span like mine, it's (laughs) quite quite a good situation to be in. So started being a kitchen hand and um, sort of moved on to some of the other tasks in the kitchen. It was a pretty grotty, uh, pretty grotty pub I was in. And then I actually was fortunate, actually for next, next, my wife and I decided we'd embark a little bit further to uh, William Anglis to study cooking together after we had gone to her 21st birthday party. Her parents took us to Jacques Ramon restaurant in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that I'd ever been to a, um, a fancy restaurant like that. Yeah. My family gourmets at all, you know, mm. whilst we grew up in a fantastic little community, it wasn't that style of, of cooking your life. And it really opened my eyes to what was possible in this, uh, in this realm. And I was just like, remember Jacques came out to all the tables with his tall hat and and asked us how our meals were and I I couldn't believe that food could taste like that I didn't it had such a profound effect on me I remember sitting up in bed late that night and said to Amy my my wife I know what I'm going to do I know what I'm going to do I'm going to be a chef (laughs) 
So we went to William Anglis and whilst I was there, I was fortunate enough to hear, it was one of those like educational seminars and there was some chefs speaking on the stage and one of which was Jeff Lindsay. There was Andrew Blake, who also became a future employer, Stephen Mercer and Bill Marchetti, maybe, I'm not sure. I can't really remember back that far. But I, again, listening to Jeff speak about the food industry and, and hospitality, and I just realised that there was a master that I had to learn from. And so you know, put myself at the feet of the master and begged for a job and was back at the start doing the shittest jobs possible in the kitchen. But I think that as it was my, my, my second go, this was something I chose to do was something I thought I should do. Uh, I just roared through the ranks and just became besotted wow. <laughs> with the whole idea of cooking. And, and, and it's, you know, it's a pretty dodgy metaphor, but it is layers of an onion and you just keep, there's just more to learn and more to learn. And it starts in a very tiny corner of the kitchen. And once you understand that corner of the kitchen, you get a bit more of the kitchen to understand. And, you know, as that process continues and then you find yourself in charge of whole kitchens and you start looking outside the kitchen and, you know, my career has taken me to become a restaurateur and uh, the proprietor of a few different hospitality outlets. It's it's just been a really exciting journey. Mm. It's just like the doors of perception being opened and opened and opened and opened. That's a great story. Yeah, and you also didn't grow up in the tropics, did you? You were, in fact, a refugee from from the city, <laughs> as you've said. How did you come to be in this part of Australia? Yeah, it 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 was just one of those things, one of those chance encounters in in so many ways. I was twenty seven years old, living and working in the city, both my wife and I, and. It was just time to do something new. I actually, when I reflect back on it, I think that all of the things that I, I kind of detested about country life growing up in East Gippsland, the claustrophobia, the fact that everyone knows your business. I loved the anonymity of the city, but after 12 years living in inner city Melbourne, I just felt it was a bit of a hollow pursuit. Looking back on it, it felt vacuous. It wasn't I wasn't feeling the engagement and then the realness and the authenticity that I, I, I'm constantly searching for. And so we, we were looking for restaurant sites in Melbourne and nothing really presented itself. And my business partner came here on holidays and it literally was a whim. Came back with a with a VHS taped <laughs> video of the potential site and we, we were reckless and young and we flew up the next weekend and got pissed and have a looked around and said, why not? And it was more a case of waiting for someone to say, no, you can't do that mm. than actually um, any sound business plan or, <laughs> yeah. or, 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 or thought that we wouldn't be successful it's just that there, there was no plan b we we're just going to go to the tropics and open a restaurant <laughs> i mean why not, <laughs> why, not why, why wouldn't you do that <laughs> well describe for our listeners who may not have been there the place where you live because it's really quite an extraordinary place i can hear in the background every so often some birds and you know this is really yeah. the tropics isn't it tell us about it Ab absolutely and and for many australians they they haven't actually experience just how tropical it is up here. I mean, it's, it comes as a surprise to many people. We're as far above Brisbane as Melbourne is below it. So it's not, when you say Queensland, it, very, it is really is a huge, huge place. Specifically, Palm Cove is just exquisite. It's this tiny little village-like suburb in the northern, the most northern outpost of Cairns City. And it's the last 
sort of bit of flat area before, you know, the, where the rainforest meets the sea is defined. It's the last vestiges of the Great Dividing Range and it literally just tumbles down from this jungle-like crags into the ocean. And here we are nestled amongst uh, hundreds of year old Melaleuca gums, this palm tree swaying. The architecture and the civil engineering of the town is beautiful in the fact that there's nothing built over four stories. When you walk out to the end of the pier, you can't even see Palm Cove. Mm. And I love that I love that symbiosis, that synergy between, you know, being fully immersed in the landscape and, and being as part of nature, not just a voyeur. And and that that's my my love affair with this this region starts and ends there, really. And and it's it's the authenticity of real relationships and real experiences and even, even like you said as visceral as the as the noises it sounds like an Avery <laughs> when I wake up in the morning and when it rains it really rains and when it's hot it's hot it's verdant green and luscious and oh it's just awesome I love it I absolutely love it and situate the restaurant for us it, it was originally in another spot when you first opened you've moved mm. just down the road a little bit but it's it's absolutely it's it's incredibly romantic and beautiful describe for our listeners where where it's situated yeah so the restaurant in its current um, iteration is is literally absolute beachfront we have no road between us and the coral sea it's just a very understated building with no walls <laughs> that that really is uh, subjected to the weather there's a beautiful string of highly photographed palm trees out the front i think we're just about every instagram person who's ever visited <laughs> takes a photo and then you know the sand and the, the, the beautiful ocean and it's just such a soft little gentle cove it really does like i said blend into the landscape so effortlessly and that was Part of our sort of design, a brief to ourselves when we moved to the new site, what's that, eight years ago now, was to not try and fight or, or the, the natural landscape, to just really furnish the place in such a way that it it works with the landscape. You know, we, the, the, the beauty of where we are is where we are. Mm. It, it doesn't need much more adorning. And, and in many ways that... that is the philosophy behind the brand and the restaurant itself. I mean, loosely the word Nunu translates to nude mm. and we, we wanted that pairing back, that stripping back, you know, what, what it, we consider it to be a luxury brand, but it's a luxury brand defined by that sense of nudity, that sense of sort of having time to sit down and do things, having genuine stories about, the, the furnishings or the things that you're eating or the, or the, the relationship you have with the people who are serving. We want to, we really want it to be quite a, a hospitable and intimate relationship. Mm. I find the building actually a little mysterious. When I look at it, it doesn't automatically say restaurant to me. You, you kind of walk past and go, oh, what is that? And it looks like people are having a really good time there. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. We, and we wanted all, you know, I feel like I've said the same thing so many times over the years, all the trappings of a big city restaurant, but without the pretentiousness. Mm. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I love going to the city. I love getting dressed up and, and going to the big, you know, to the big top, the big show. <laughs> but I also really love seeing what happens to our customers and particularly if we're lucky enough to have them you know, over a couple of days is to watch them sort of just unwind a little and mm. get back to get back to their 
you know, their truest self they can, I suppose, you know, and if I look at the diet, it's, it's funny that this whole period we've just been through has really helped me refine and define who we are as a business and what, what really is important to me. And, you know, when the great question was asked, I definitely want to be a restaurateur because I love people. I mm. genuinely love to see the interactions between people. And, I, and I'm forever telling my staff that every single day that these people have chosen to come to us and that every table is important and not in the fact that it's we just set the stage for them to do their thing, you know, and every day you see people falling in love and falling out of love and having business meetings and families sitting together. I just think it's awesome. So you're like the stage director of this production. (laughs) (laughs) Now, listeners, here's a question for you, and I'd love to know what you think about it. So please feel free to comment on the Extra Virgin Facebook page. The question is, what is Australian food? It's something I get asked pretty often from people overseas and I think it's a question that's really vexing to answer because it's so complex. However, if I had to narrow it down to a single chef and a single region that I thought best represented Australian food, it would be Nick and this region. The reasons being, as I mentioned earlier, it's a bit of a microcosm of Australia because you have their strong Indigenous influences and their knowledge about wild food. You have the European immigrants, both from previous generations and the newer tourists and backpackers who come here to work. And then you have the culinary influences from our northern neighbours. So for me, it seems like it's pretty much Australian cuisine. Feel free to disagree with me, Nick. (laughs) No, I I think that I think every region has the opportunity to uh, really express the place that they're from. And, and to me, that's what's most important. If I think about one of the big catalysts for leaving the city in 2003, it was, I was at the pinnacle of, of cuisine in the city and we had the best of everything, but it was, everything came to us via third-party suppliers. And it, it was difficult to sort of really nut down to what 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 is today? What does today feel like? And, and I, I really got the sense that the food we were cooking in Melbourne was probably not too dissimilar to the food being cooked in Los Angeles or London or Sydney. There's nothing, nothing refreshing about that because you end up, there's a banality. You end up just sort of going everywhere and having the same experience. And when I travel, I don't know about you, but I, I want to be immersed in new experiences. I want to have those new experiences smash me in the face. And you, you want to have that those experiences to be so exciting and so, um, refreshing and to leave really leave an indelible impression on you mm. i think i think that it takes some time you kind of just need to let the region speak through you and and not force its hand you know mm. often my my family who live down south will say oh i don't know how you live up there it's it's the one season all the time but that's actually not not true at all there's a huge amount of variation you just have to listen carefully and yeah i mean i <laughs> me selling me selling far north queensland is not a difficult ask at all i think it's just <laughs> completely magical and when it comes to the ingredients here i mean there are just so many layers and so much geographical biodiversity from the outer reaches of the reef to the to the coral caves and then in close and the estuaries and the coastline and the jungle and then we have this you know the amazing atherton tablelands which are literally just on the top of the ridge which has you know some of the oldest most fantastic growing soil in australia and they often call it the golden triangle which is between tolga atherton and mariba which has pre-cambrian soil you know 20 meters deep so it's, it, you can grow anything and and we, with, because of those immigrants who came here as itinerant workers as cane workers during 
in the 40s and 50s and 60s and then bought their own land and they've bought that kind of Mediterranean ingredient list with them as well. Mm. So there's just so much to drink. I imagine when you first arrived there, there was a lot of produce that you that wasn't familiar to you. How did you learn about it and adapt the techniques you'd already learned as a chef to suit them or did you just throw away the rule book altogether? I think a combination of both. It, we, as you grow and develop and mature and you keep collecting these experiences and putting them into your into your toolbox, you know, and you approach new things and think about what you've done with those those flavors or textures previously, you can apply some of your old old concepts. But first and foremost, I just love to talk to people. So I, you ask the question and 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 I approached my cooking with a childlike quality. You know, how does it taste? What does this taste like? Oh, it's sour. It's crunchy. It's making me squint. Okay, well, how can I how can I apply that in in the context of a meal? And so and ask them. You know, we have so many um, islanders who are in the markets as well. And if you ask other people, how do you cook this? You're selling this ingredient. How do you cook it? You know, and they say, oh, we do this with it. And then I can I can layer that over the top as well. But I think that that's what makes it so enriching for me is having those dialogues with people and sharing and sharing knowledge. And then, you know, I'm fortunate enough now to have been here for quite some time, you know, somewhat of a reputation that I, the people now bring me lots and lots of stuff as well. Have you seen this? Have you checked this mm. out? Oh, I don't, you know, and it might only have uh, a couple of weeks of, of its season but that's okay for me like yes. I I don't mind if things change all the time you know we always talk about this sort of sense of luxury or fine dining but you know we're, we're not determined by being consistent in terms of form or shape or what the ingredients are we just want to be consistently delicious and if that means I have something for two weeks and then I don't have it after that that's fine <laughs> fine by me I'll see it next year <laughs> whenever I bump into it next well, you use some pretty interesting produce on your menu. Tell us about some of the things that are unique and what you do with them. I don't know how unique they are, but I'm sure they're available through other parts of South America or if they've been introduced or Southeast Asia. But I can only think of a couple of things of late that have been fun and exciting, like rumbai are in season, which are like these huge long strands of, they look like a long and they're kind of like a mango scene on the inside and they're sweet and tart uh, and they hang from uh, trees like strings of pearls and they're yeah. fantastic. And we've had some bling bling, uh, which is a really sour, like bracingly sour, crunchy little green looking cucumber type thing <laughs> that we've been slicing up and putting on cured fish. Uh, that has a flavor very similar to carambola or five, five corner, sort of like a crunchy, refreshing green apple. So if you think about it like that, where else could I, if that was how I learned to cook, where do I where do I apply crunchy green fresh apples? Well, there's a whole, whole, a whole myriad of ways. But I think what's really refreshing is when you start to break out of those old cycles and just face things on face value. Mm. How does it taste? How does it make you feel? How could you, how could you get other people to uh, experience this ingredient? And then how do you train the staff to explain the thing, you know? Mm. As you've said, there's a lot of, a lot of, produce also that comes from countries that have a similar climate like South America. And I think one of my favourites, I believe, comes from South America, mm. which is the black sapote, which is a chocolate pudding fruit. And it really seriously tastes like chocolate pudding. Whenever I come up your way, I always go to the fruit mm. shop and get a couple to bring home on the plane with me because it's so good. I must admit, I'm a very big fan of the other sapotis as well. So we've just recently finished the season for yellow sapoti or canistel, which is like a, 
like a really refreshing sweet potato, I suppose, with a with a kernel, a seed that smells like almonds. And my favourite would be mammy sapoti, mm. which is like a really big avocado with a dark brown sort of woody husk. Mm. And the, again, the, the flesh of the fruit tastes like sweet potato mixed with marzipan because oh. the, the seed is really, really strong of marzipan. If you barbecue the whole thing and it starts to bubble and concentrate and becomes like like the sweetest pumpkin pie you've ever tasted. <laughs> oh, my God, that sounds amazing. We've got so much to learn about what, what is out there, isn't it? We've got a very narrow oh. um, field of if we if we buy from supermarkets, really. You're sitting in this Garden of Eden and you also get to meet a lot of producers, don't you? It's not just some company mm. rocking up at the kitchen to your regular order of meat and veg every week, is it? Not at all. And the markets are beautiful there, but there's also a lot of real characters who've moved to that part of the world. It's For me, it's kind of like Wild West meets a hippie commune and uh, there seems to be a lot of experimenting going on with, with things that people are growing. It's a very creative sort of place. Tell us about some of your favourite producers and what they do. Well, there's a myriad of them really. Uh, a huge fan actually, probably one of my favourites, <laughs> is Kyle, the honey man. So I meet Kyle most Friday mornings in the dark in the Bunnings car park. <laughs> yeah, and he he has so many hive sites up and down the coast and it's just so exciting to, in the old days, he used to blend them all together into what he called rainforest honey. I begged him to start just getting the honey from the hives and keeping it separate. And so we can look on any given weekend and you'll taste four or five different honeys that taste completely different. And that's just so exciting because it's such a reflection of the landscape and of the of the things that are in, in mm. flower. Like there's a, one of the honeys I'm just a, an absolute sucker for, which is on the back of Admiralty Island right in the Trinity Inlet near the city. But it has a strong maritime flavour. It's a real salinity to mm. it, almost like mangrove flowers and seawater. And it's a dark, dark honey that's sour and funky and fruity. Uh, and then Ricky, who grows huge amounts of stuff for us, he's down in Innisfail and has a, a farm that basically has everything growing on it, from bananas to rice to, you know, chicken <laughs> and, and his rice when I can get hold of it is such a treat because it's prepared in the traditional way he he actually bought the rice with him or his parents did when they were escaping the Khmer Rouge and um, they grow it here without irrigation and they hand thresh the rice themselves and have to drag it out of the shed for it to dry in the sun and then drag it back in at night so it doesn't get damp and they grow most of this stuff for themselves but I'm fortunate enough because of our relationship to get small quantities sometimes when they have an excess. So it's things like that where I, I see the real value and the, and the luxury. One of my dear mates, Rodney, has a cane farm and so he's always bringing me molasses and, and cane straw to smoke with and oh, cane wow. itself to make cane sugar. And they also, as a fallow crop these days, they're growing sesame seeds and they're growing sesame grass and soybeans. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it, the work's never done. You know, you've got to just yeah. keep, keep trying new things and, and, and see where they take you. But it's often the, the little growers, you know, the people who, it's the, the ladies at the market who have a small stall who literally just pick stuff from their gardens or from along the roadside or from the waterways, like watercress and stuff like that, or wild greens. They don't, you know, they might only have a few bunches. But it's all it's all worthwhile for me just to have a chat and see how their week was. <laughs> I've got another lady, Stella, who climbs 
coconut palms for me and brings in coconuts of all various ages, except she broke her finger last week when a coconut nearly <laughs> fell on her head and she tried to protect herself and snapped her finger. Oh. And then she was grumpy because her sons don't climb as well as she does. And, <laughs> but that, you know, that's the rich sort of fabric of the region that I just love so much. And it's all done under the same intensely humid, blaring sunshine. Oh, it sounds remarkable. And of course, being on the Great Barrier Reef, you have a lot of fantastic seafood. I'm interested to know about your policy about fish that you'll use at Nunu. There's a lot of talk these days about sustainability around seafood. Well, I love seafood myself. Increasingly, people's diets are tending towards less protein in general, whether that's seafood or or poultry or meats, and even the way we prepare food would be in keeping with that. I think it comes down to how you how you look for quality and luxury. So, so fish for us, I mean, for 18 years now, I, I don't think I've ever said what the fish is on the menu. I just specify that it's local and it's line caught. And that, to me, could sort of typifies everything. I mean, the fish come in whole, and, and, and if we're in a real bind because the weather's been terrible, we might have to get some fish from a little further afield. But generally speaking, there's a catch every day or two, and we, we use the fish that are caught. And to me, that's way more luxurious than saying I have to have coral trout on the menu at all costs, mm. and therefore it's either super fresh or not so fresh. And everything else that is caught in that catch is considered a byproduct. I, you know, I, I just think, again, the same way I celebrate diversity across all parts of my life, I think that the seafood is exactly the same, but it does become a bit of a hurdle for us because not all fish are, um, are created equal in terms of how. <laughs> how they cook and and how people enjoy them. And sometimes some of the fish we use can be quite firm and almost steak-like, and that's just the way it is. And But I like that, but it's hard to kind of communicate to uh, our customers who have an expectation, particularly if they've been from down south, that the fish will be flaky and, and how people imagine white yeah and how people imagine fish i mean we uh, one of the fish we use a lot of is moonfish which Mm. is a byproduct of tuna fishing which has got a kind of pinky gray like texture when it's cooked but i mean i find it just delicious and it's so amazing when you see the whole fish so part of that is again the storytelling and communicating to the customers about and i hope i mean i genuinely hope that when they have those experiences that they do find them unique and they go back to you know to, to where they came and, and 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 can reminisce on this unique experience they had mm. speaking of which i i have been lucky enough to dine at your place several times but there are many people listening who wouldn't have can you describe your food <laughs> i know it's kind of difficult. not, not super well actually <laughs> I, I mean I, I think about these things all the time and i it's very difficult i i suppose this is so many years in the game, I just hope that I've built trust with my customers. I mean, I think Nunu House of Food, that's what I think. We open seven days a week, breakfast, lunch and dinner. We have people in the kitchen from 5.30am till 12 o'clock at night every single day. And I don't delineate any difference between a piece of toast for breakfast or a degustation at dinner time. I have the same ambitions in terms of quality, be that making our own bread to making our own everything we possibly can. So how do I define the food at Nunu? It, you know, I suppose if I wanted to be <laughs> hopelessly romantic, I would say something like food of the sun. Mm. But really it's just a celebration of, of 
the landscape, letting it speak for itself and making sure that if it's crunchy, it's crunchy. And if it's sour, it's sour. And if it's salty, it's uh, salty, you know, and that ultimately it just has to be delicious. That's just all I want. I just want delicious food where people can have a really good time. I think when I first came up here and started cooking, I was probably a little more anchored in those Southeast Asian roots and skill set. But I would like to think that these days it's sort of moved beyond that definition, which is why when I think of your what is Australian food question, it's very, very difficult to answer that because it really is about time and place and where we're up to. You know, I think of our style these days is just being more freestyle. We don't, you know, adhere too much to rules <laughs> as long as it's tasty. I'd just like to think we're inspired and influenced by the landscape more than anything else. Fair enough. Well, tourism has been a huge part of this region forever. There are mm. usually a huge number of backpackers and working holidaymakers who work in the hospitality industry in tropical Queensland and others who support it by spending in their tourist hotspots. How have you fared during COVID? It must have hit your region particularly hard. It's been a it's been a joy ride, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> around the the labour force, inbound labour force from overseas, we have really felt the brunt of that for a long time. It's sort of been a rite of passage, I think, for international travellers to fly into Cairns and have working visas for 88 days and make their way down the coast and fly out of Melbourne eventually. That's been a really, really difficult hurdle for us to overcome. Uh, Our labour force has been so diminished over the past two years. It's been very, very difficult. So we've had to really push hard to employ often a lot more unskilled and junior staff members. But with regards to tourism, I would say that Nunu has fared exceptionally well, to be honest. I mean, I've always considered us a Cairns restaurant for Cairns people before before anything else. And and I, I do appreciate we're a darling of the Eastern Seaboard when, when travel is open. But really, we have a very strong, loyal customer base here. We also have a very strong and loyal customer base Queensland-wide. And, and so I think they've been pretty happy to have it to themselves for a little, for a little <laughs> while, to be honest. And international um, tourism doesn't really affect um, Nunu directly, mind you, indirectly it would because there are other tourism operators in the region who, you know, obviously do very well out of that inbound international tourism. So, yeah, a bit of a mixed bag. It's mm. been very difficult. The opening and closing of borders has been a challenge, but I'm an eternal optimist. I absolutely loved the YouTube videos you did during COVID. <laughs> they were great. Is, <laughs> that, is that your own backyard? Well, my front yard, yes. That's oh. where it's my happy place. That's where I love to cook the most. I don't know why so. you don't have your own show yet, Nick. Why is that? <laughs> well, I do enjoy educating and, and I do really enjoy making little videos like that to be honest i hope to do more of it i just need the time the food is so delicious and i i actually watched you and thought i can do that i'm gonna make that it just looked so good well that's the idea i hope yeah it's an area that i've been working on for so long i'm in the process of trying to build this metal smoker contraption for next to the wood oven and always putting new parts on the on, on sort of the area but it's so like i've been cooking out there for you know 10 or something years and i just love it most of our family meals are outside and cooked in the wood oven sounds <laughs> like very... that early education and engineering did come in <laughs> handy after all and nick what about chefs or restaurants you admire if i gave you a ticket to anywhere in the world with with the ability to have a no holes barred, no expenses spared meal, where would you choose and why? Well, I've been super enamoured by Alana. I'm looking at the book now. Alana 
Reagan, who wrote the book Burn the Place. It was just such a fantastic uh, book released in the last 24 months or 12 months. And she's a chef in North America who I just find the book is amazing. Please, if anyone oh, hasn't read it, give that. it a read. It's so amazing. Her, her childhood was incredible. Very, very difficult and disruptive in many ways, but they lived off the land. And she has a restaurant that I would love to go to called Elizabeth. And she also had a hut up in the wilderness called Milk. I think it's called Milkweed Inn. And, you, you know, it's like a homestay type thing. And her and her partner cook for you. That's where I want to go. That's I want to go. I want to meet Alana. <laughs> that sounds incredible. What about places in your part of the world? Can you give us a couple of personal recommendations of where people should eat from Cairns North? From Cairns, oh, oh, definitely Oaks is just fantastic. So Oaks Kitchen Garden is north of here at Oak Beach on the way to Port Douglas, and. I think historically they were from up here, but they also spent a long time in Melbourne and they're doing an incredible job doing cooking classes and chef's table lunches for a very small group of people. I think it's like 14 people, but you get a tour of the garden where everything's grown or most of the stuff's grown and it's a very immersive experience. Such a lovely place to go for lunch. That sounds amazing. I I tend to be very, very... (laughs) caught in my own little bubble you don't go out to no. eat like most no chefs. <laughs> no not a huge or we do but only in a very perfunctory way in between kids sport and the rest that sort of stuff i understand uh, but we as as a family you know when, when travel was a little easier we i mean our my kids have grown up in the restaurant my kids absolutely love restaurants and my middle boy's taking a real sort of thing for cooking and my eldest daughter works at the restaurant every week and the youngest one, he he loves the restaurant too, but more as a consumer, <laughs> I think. But our favourite thing to do is go to the city and go to all the new restaurants. Like it's just so much fun. Nick, when I Googled you, some questions came up that people had been searching <laughs> about you. I dread to think. I don't Google myself. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> it sounds like you may, may have made a few new fans after MasterChef because number one is Nick Holloway Partner. Nick Holloway partner. Yes. Who's my who's my partner? Yeah. My wife. Yes. Somebody is. So there there we go, people. Yes, he is married. So sorry about that. Yes, I am married and I've been married for 20, 26 years. She's my best friend in the entire world and we went to high school together. Oh, that's so romantic. Well, number two is Nick Holloway Aids. Very old, as you can see. No, 46 I am now. Okay. I look 106. Anyway, (laughs) that's just the way it is as we get older, I think. (laughs) Well, bizarrely, number three is Nick Holloway height. 192 centimetres. I don't know what that is. Six foot three, I suppose. Okay. So you are. Pretty pretty tall, but not, not hugely tall. I just look tall on my. Master Chef compared to uh, <laughs> compared to all the rest of the guys who are uh, challenged when it comes to <laughs> Finally, Nick, if you were going to do an ad for your part of the world, well, sell us tropical North Queensland. Oh God, you've put me on the spot there. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the Garden of Eden. It really is. I do lots of long shots of overexposed sunshine and (laughs) and ocean and and jungle and exploration barefoot luxury is something that i really like to like to think of when i think of this part of the world it's just being very in touch with nature and it is undeniably romantic isn't it oh absolutely absolutely 
Well, Nick, I can't wait to get back to Nunu sometime soon. But in the meantime, I've just scored the last tickets to a dinner you're cooking here in the city soon, which I'm really looking forward to. Oh, that was uh, that was went off like a firecracker yesterday, didn't it? That it's was great fun. Sold off in minutes, and I literally have got <laughs> the last tickets, and I'm in the bar. I'm not even in the main room. <laughs> Because they've had to open the bar because you're so popular. It really was very flattering. I mean, we, up here, I just like I said, I get, we lost, get lost in our own world, and we, I often wonder if we have any relevance outside of, you know, of our own little sphere of influence. And it's it is nice when you take the show to the mm. you know to the big smoke. And Ben is honestly one of my favourite people and definitely favourite chefs in the land. He, We instantly hit it off when we met each other the first time. And I had the fortune to be able to cook. I was fortunate enough to be able to cook at Gerard's when he was there together, and I've had him cook at Nunu before. And there's a real synergy between, I think, the two the two of us and the way that we like. We see food and the way that we like to cook big, bold, brassy flavours, you know, oh, okay. just strong, strong flavours and a real sense of identity. Mm, I can't wait. Well, thank you so much for being on Extra Virgin, Nick. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I just hope I haven't waffled on too much. <laughs> Not at all. You can follow Nick and I don't suggest that you look at his Insta feed when you're hungry, but you can follow him at, <laughs> at Nunu Restaurant or at Nico Holloway, which is Nick's personal account. And make sure that you put Nunu on your list when you're in this part of Australia. As always, thank you for listening and wherever you are in the world... Bon voyage and bon appétit. You've been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts and subscribe, rate and leave a review.